Find in your seats, Revelation chapter 1. All right, when you found Revelation chapter 1, stand with me. We will read together verse 7 together. Just one verse this morning. I've got a lot more. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. <clears throat> Let's read it with emphasis here. Let's say it together. Revelation 1, 7 in the Bible. Begin. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Let's pray. Some of the clearest words in the Bible are... I'm coming back. And some of the most fearful words in the Bible are, I'm coming back. And this morning we, we bow and we, we stop what we're doing and say, Lord, make us ready. And help us to be focused on better things so that others are ready. Because when it happens, this world won't be ready. So you've got some things for us this morning. Open our eyes, but also stir our hearts. Stop us from being apathetic. Stop us from being distracted. Help us to keep our focus on the future, reaching forth unto such a great prize as the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We need you today to speak to our hearts and, and, and do a work. Humbling, changing, making us ready for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as I said last week, as I started this one section here, this is an incredible thought that someone named Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back soon. I know for the last 2,000 years, people have been saying he's coming back. Yes, yes, he is coming back. And really, if there's anybody that doesn't have an excuse to believe that he's coming back, it's us because not only do we have the scriptures, we actually have the prophecies of the Bible, the signs that it's coming even sooner than we know. You know, honestly, uh, when you look around, does it seem like he's coming back? Now, for those of us who are saved, yes. But when you look at the world, is the world like looking for him? Is the world like, you know, uh, wondering what's going to happen? No. Uh, I think 99% of our, the population of our world is just distracted. They couldn't be bothered. Um, but the truth is, a lot of Christians have that same attitude. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. This is, this is where it's coming back, folks, because he is coming back. And that's the end of the game. That's the end of everything that we are immersed in, everything we're trying to do, we're trying to build. It's over at that point. And there's no going back and making up for wrong choices. There's no second chances. The second coming to Jesus Christ is the most talked about subject in your Bible. Now, uh, the truth is, according to that verse, there are going to be some people 
who when these signs really get going and are at full space, and it may be right now, they're not going to even see death within time to see his second coming. Now, that's a terrifying thing because there are two kinds of people who are going to see that. But I'll talk about that more next week. Uh, just like I said last week, it's kind of like uh, that fun game you play with your kids and then your grandkids who play hide and seek. And you just say those words, ready or not, here I come. Well, that's what Jesus is saying to this world. Now, last week, I talked about three things. I talked about the promise of Christ's second coming. Go back to uh, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. Got to give you a little background before we go into this thing. I remember when I got saved and my pastor preached on the second coming and on the rapture and the coming tribulation. It just made the hair stand on the back of my neck. I couldn't believe what was ahead. You know, when you get saved, all you think is, I guess I'm going to heaven. But you realize there's a lot of stuff that God's got in uh, plan for this world. And there's a lot of stuff coming up, focusing on Israel. I never realized that Christianity was more than just about me. I thought me getting saved was the best thing that ever happened. Amen. How many of you thought that too? When you got saved, you thought, "Ooh, this is the best day ever. Then you realize, no, there's a lot more happening. Now, my salvation is top notch. It's done. It's perfect. But Jesus said he had come, but he was coming again. Chapter 24, verse 3, and he sat, <clears throat> as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? It just described all of the temple being destroyed, every stone being knocked down. And he said, uh, and they asked him, What shall be the sign of thy coming? And of the end of the world. <clears throat> Excuse me. Go down to verse 27. And then Jesus says, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. The second coming of Jesus was predicted and promised from the very first of your Bible, chapter 3. I just read Matthew chapter 24, verse 27. That's it. So, um, the... Uh, uh, in Genesis chapter 3, God said to, to, uh, to the serpent, demon-possessed serpent, He says, that the seed of that woman is going to kick your rear. It's going to knock you out of the game, going to knock your block off, we would say in the vernacular. He's going to crush your head. And uh, talking about a coming Messiah, and there are hundreds and hundreds. <clears throat> the, the, the main list is about 900 main prophecies about a coming ruler a deliverer, a liberator, a defender, a savior. They are specific promises that God gave first, <clears throat> excuse me, to his people, to the Jews. Those promises, some of them still have to be fulfilled. Don't write off the Jews yet. There are all these YouTubers are all saying that, that God is through with the Jews. He's not, if he ever gets through with the Jews, he'll get through with you too. So <clears throat> uh, God made some promises to Israel and he's going to keep those promises. He made some promises to the Gentiles. That, that there would be light given to us. And thirdly, he made some promises to the devil. Amen. Now, uh, thank God for his promises. Jesus himself promised that he would come again. Go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. <clears throat> Verse 2. In my Father's house are... So many mansions. I'm glad they're not outhouses, even though that's all we'd be ever deserving. Amen. There's so many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And 
I go, he's, end of John, he's, he's writing about the last two weeks of, of Christ's uh, life here in these chapters on, and he's saying, I'm leaving, and if I go and prepare a place for you, notice those next four words, what are they? Say them with me. I will come again and receive you unto myself, so that where I am, there ye may be also. Uh, we looked at lots of promises last week. We also looked at the purpose of the second coming. And the purpose of the second coming is that there are still 800 more major prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. Jesus did not fix politics the first time he came, did he? Still a mess. He didn't fix health care. He didn't fix banking. He didn't fix taxation. He didn't fix all our social issues. He didn't get rid of all diseases. And as I said last week, he didn't even fix the weather. By the way, it's only going to get worse. They're talking about climate change. They have no idea. Even if they got rid of all the straws in the world, even if we stopped using petrol and diesel, even if we all just lived in harmony up on a hillside, long hair, sipping water out of the river, and nobody did anything for the rest of our lives, it's going to get very hot very soon on this planet. <clears throat> the weather's about to go bad. So what did Jesus come to do the first time? To take our place. If there's anything that people need to hear right now is that Jesus Christ died for them so they don't have to face the wrath of God. But that's not all he's, he, he needs to do. There is some fixing that needs to be done in our world. This world is messed up, isn't it? There is, there is, uh, uh, there are people, I'm glad they catch some of these guys like Epstein and like Larry, uh, Harry Wein, no, Larry Weinstein. I'm glad they catch some of those, but that's the tip of the iceberg. There's enough people, you wouldn't want to know how wicked and how far people, uh, how far down and how low people live. And one of these days, they're all going to get caught. Amen. And that ought to scare some of us. Because none of us, when, when the Lord starts pointing out sin, that's why some of us ran to the Savior and says, please save me now. I do not want to face your wrath. So uh, there's a lot of unfinished business, business. And then we started looking at the predictions of Jesus' coming. We looked through Matthew chapter 24, and we saw that there were false messiahs coming, false Christs, false saviors. So, uh, some people don't realize just how duped they are. In the Roman Catholic Church, they have lifted up Mary to be a Savior. That's a false Messiah. Amen. Some people have lifted up and they look to their priest to be the one who will pray for them when they die. That priest can't get you past death's door. Some people look up to Sun Young Moon over there in South Korea. They look to all kinds of false Messiahs thinking there was one guy who claimed that in behind a, inside a comet was a spaceship. And if you just follow him, he's obviously an American. Uh, and, and so if you just follow him and, and, and do his, uh, what he says to do, you'll be beamed aboard the spaceship and you'll be protected from the coming uh, Armageddon on the earth. Well, that's a lie. There are false saviors, false messiahs going around. Uh, do you know Muhammad claimed to be superior to Jesus Christ? Did you realize that? See, Jesus was a prophet. Muhammad was the final one. So there are false messiahs. We read about wars and rumors of wars. We, war, we read about famines. We read about Jesus talking about diseases and pestilences. 
He talked about earthquakes and persecutions of Christians, being offended. Is that not the modern problem? That is, that is just mind-boggling. 30 years ago, I never knew anybody that was offended. Now, I don't know anybody that's not. Being offended and the betrayal. We're talking about Christians even betraying one another. Unbelievable. Hating one another, even though you're brethren or believers. False prophets. You know, there are false prophets everywhere. It's called newspapers. <laughs> and, and, and news programs on TV and documentaries. But you know, the point is, I, I know that there are false prophets out there. The problem is there's so many that believe them. So where we're at now is, that last one is iniquity is abounding. When I grew up, there were things you never talked about. And when I said a bad word one time and my mom heard me, she washed out my mouth. I never said that word ever again. But now, it'd be called child abuse. Let a kid say what he wants. Let them watch what they want. Let them play where they want. Let them just, just do what they want. Let me tell you, uh, iniquity is abounding. So what's the effect? The love of many has waxed cold. The one subject everybody talks about, they have the least of because sin. So Jesus mentioned those things, but that wasn't his whole point. By themselves, those signs don't mean anything. I mean, there are always earthquakes, wars, always, rumors of wars, diseases. But when they're all occurring at the same time and increasing, then something is happening. As a matter of fact, they are crazy. Go back to Matthew chapter 24, because all of those things are by themselves really just normal life on earth. Matthew chapter 24, verse 6. When you found that, also go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Okay, Matthew chapter 24, look in verse 6. According to Jesus, the Bible says, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Verse 8, all these are the beginning of what? All right, now go now, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you pick up in verse 1, it says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. So when, when the, the second coming of Jesus Christ is talked about, is talked about like um, a, a mom who's pregnant, this mother is pregnant, and she's looking forward to the time the baby's going to be born, but for nine months, what's going on? Nothing. I mean, there's some kicks, there's some growth, there's some waddling. I mean, it all that's all how it goes, but all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, usually babies are born in the middle of the night, aren't they? When, when you're least expected, when hubby is over there dead asleep, what does the wife say? I think it's time. <laughs> Why? Because in a moment, everything was in place. Everything was starting to build up. And then 
the, the, the contraction started and it started to go through the roof. And she said, we got to get to the hospital. And Jesus was saying that just like the sorrow that comes in the delivery of a baby, so is also the second coming. Now, all of those things are what we always have always been experiencing. But Jesus is saying that, um, uh, uh, that these are the beginning. What we see happening are the beginning of sorrows. And when they increase, and when the, everybody is seeing them, and knowing, uh, nobody knew about an earthquake over in Iran. Nobody heard about a, uh, waves and wind and hurricanes uh, down in um, uh, uh, Australia until the last two centuries where news was able to get to people. In these last 100, 200 years, we know everything going on anywhere, especially in the last 30 years, at within an hour, within a half hour, we know what's going on everywhere in the world. So some of you, uh, some of us don't know what labor pains are like. Um, but Jesus used labor pains and he says, it's just like when you see any kind of sign, like you see red sky in the morning, uh, it's, a, it's a shepherd's warning, red sky at night, that's a shepherd's delight. You can tell some things. And what you're looking at is you see across time, you see intensity. You see crazy people claiming to be God, claiming to be messiahs, claiming to be the savior, claiming to be politicians, able to fix the world. Uh, you see them just coming out of the woodwork. You, you hear of wars. We've had more wars in the last 100 years than we've had in all of history. You see famines. We don't even comprehend how hungry a quarter of the world's population is. We just don't care. We go to Tesco, we get our stuff, and we say, I'm starving. You've never starved. Diseases, now the doctors don't like to talk about it, but the diseases are getting out of control. They, they, uh, they, can't, they can't control the, the, um, the mutations, just the, the resistance of bacteria, the new strains. Let me tell you, we're living in the last days. And I wish, go to Romans chapter 13. The purpose of being reminded of this thing is because we're asleep, folks. Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Romans 13, 11 says that, and, no, and that, knowing the time, and I hope you know the time. I hope you know what time it is. Knowing the time, uh, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Question, who could possibly Paul be writing to? Saved or lost? These are saved. These are believers up in Rome. And so he says, it's time to wake up, Christians. For now is our salvation, our Savior, the person of Jesus Christ, nearer than when we believed. I've been saved 39 years. You say, well, Jesus hasn't come back in your, in your 39 years. No, but I guarantee you I'm closer to his second coming than I was then. Verse 12, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness. Can you imagine Christians drinking, getting drunk? Can you imagine Christians rioting? Can you imagine Christians living like the world? And yet, even in Rome, Paul was warning, saying, stop it. 
not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Why? Because He's coming back. So when we look at that list, we're just reminded, just like a woman saying, this is not normal. I, I, I can't breathe. Uh, contractions have started. Things are about to get exciting. Amen. So I hope last week kind of freaked you out. I hope as we looked at some of those things, it woke you up. And so when you look at the newspaper, and you look at the news, you go, yes, my Bible's right. But I'm not finished. I got a few more predictions and signs of the second coming to deal with before I talk about the point of all this. First of all, remember that chart. Things starting out and the intensity increasing and just going up through the roof. Do you know the Bible stands out as the only book that expresses the future in clarity? I mean, look at your Bible. Go to Isaiah. I got a lot of scriptures for you this morning. Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 9. Isaiah 46 and 9, remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. You know why he's different? Because verse 10 says, declaring the end all the way from the what? Beginning. So in Genesis chapter 1, you're looking at all of history declared right there in that one chapter. Declaring the end all the way from the beginning. And from the ancient times, he can declare the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. So he can tell you the things that haven't even been dreamed of, and it's all in your Bible. So the first thing that shows up here I want to talk about is the rise of the United Europe. Go to Daniel chapter 2. You're in Isaiah. Go to the right, past Jeremiah, and then Ezekiel, and then get to Daniel chapter 2. I'm talking to people that are in the middle of the fulfillment of Scripture. We're in Europe. Daniel chapter 2, verse 36. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Now, this is Daniel talking to King Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power and strength and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the air of heaven, hath he given into thine hand, and he hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. So we got Nebuchadnezzar's statue here, and he says, you're the head of a five-part image. Verse 39, and after thee shall arise a whole another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. So there's our third one, bronze, brass, verse 240. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things. And as iron breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, now we're down to the ankle and toes, part of the potter's clay and part of iron. The kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of the clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. 
Whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. But they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a what? All right. So all of that to get you down to a time where it says, when there are all these kings trying to set up their kingdom, God will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand how long? Forever. Verse 45. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king, to you, what shall come to pass thereof, the hereafter, when the dream is certain, and the interpretation is sure. God's, uh, God tells uh, through a uh, dream and through Daniel and his three friends that there's a, you're, you're the kingdom, uh, you're the first kingdom of a series of five kingdoms. Babylonian Empire, the next one following them was Medo, uh, the Medes and the Persians, and after them was the Greek Empire. The, the Greek Empire wasn't even a twinkle in, a, in its mother's eye. There was no empire. After that would come Rome, and then after that would come a time out of Rome as part of the same legs, but it's kind of all mixed up with clay mixed with iron, ten toes, what all that kind of means. We'll talk about it in a second. And then a stone would come. And we know who the stone is. He's the Messiah. So, um, <clears throat> now the funny thing is here, when Jesus came the first time, what did the disciples, what did everybody expect Jesus to do? Smash them all. Crush them. Show them your king. Destroy Rome. That's what they wanted Jesus to do. And he didn't do it, did he? So, what we've got here, Jesus says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, here's the rock, that whosoever believeth on him shall not perish, but have what kind of life? All right, Jesus compares himself to a rock, and he later on he says, If you fall on this rock, you'll be broken. But upon whomsoever this rock shall fall, it will grind him to powder. How you respond to Jesus Christ, how you, how you relate to him, how you surrender to him, or whether you fight determines your destiny. So that rock there, Jesus goes on in John 3, 17, and he says, um, uh, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. Not yet. But that the world through him should be saved. And then he goes on and he says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. You believe? He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, and the wrath of God abideth on him. The wrath of God is that stone is coming and you're in its way. And unless you run to that rock, that rock is coming at you. And that put the fear of God in people. Man, when John preached, people were ready to look to and trust the Messiah. And we need that today where people realize, I'm glad he didn't destroy yet. I'm glad he hasn't judged this world, but he will. So the, the last part describes these ten toes, all right? Kind of funny that the modern world would be compared to ten dirty toes. But that's where we're at. Because uh, what we have is that's the original picture, an original document describing the Europe with 12 stars. And notice the shape of them. They're not pointed upright like normal. They're pointed down like a pentagram. And that was the, with the Tower of Babel. And what they said, Europe, 
many tongues, one voice. But we have a better testimony to that, and that is there's Der Spiegel there back in 1972 saying, the woman's finally riding the beast. And in 2002, on the back of a Greek coin, was a woman riding the beast in honor of 2001 when the euro was announced and saying that the Roman Empire's back. Phenomenal. <clears throat> According to Daniel, there's going to be, it's not there yet, we've got how many nations? 20 some odd nations all allied together into the Europe summit fully and some partially. And it's a weak alliance, isn't it? Some of them are strong, Germany, France. Some of them are weak. They're like clay mixed with iron. It's when these nations become 10 strong nationalities from the old Roman Empire that Jesus' rock will come back and destroy. And we're seeing the beginning of that alliance. Uh, throughout, you know, throughout the centuries, since Rome fell, people have tried to put Rome back together again. Charlemagne. I mean, remember Napoleon Bonaparte. Benito Mussolini, all right, Mr. Pizza Man himself. You know what he wanted? He wanted Italy to be the head of the nations. He wanted to restore the Holy Roman Empire under him. Adolf Hitler, the Third, third Reich means the third appearance of the kingdom. Winston Churchill, he even said, he said, if we could just get the Roman Empire back under one dominant control. Um, now, they all had different reasons but they wanted the United States of Europe. And um, uh, the last Gentile world empire will be used by the Antichrist to conquer the world. We don't have time. I wish I could take you. I have to take you through a month of Sundays in Daniel. And uh, uh, it's coming up, folks. Next week when I talk about the tribulation, you'll see everything come together. You go, wow. Listen to the statement. Listen to this. This is in 19... 40, uh, 1945, <clears throat> a guy named Paul Henry Spack, S-P-A-A-K. He was a former prime minister of Belgium, and he was the first chairman of the General Assembly of the United Nations. Ready? He said, we need a European unity. Watch what he said. We do not want another committee. We have too many already. What we want is a man of sufficient stature to hold the allegiance of all people and to lift us out of the economic morass in which we are sinking, send us such a man and be he God or the devil, we will receive him. 1945. The prime minister of Belgium was crying out for the Antichrist. Get us out of our trouble, whether you're God or the devil, we'll take you. We're in the middle of something that could not have been imagined. Charlemagne, under the Holy Roman Empire, tried to restore Rome again. Failed. Hitler, failed. Mussolini, failed. Winston Churchill, all right. So during time, there was one empire that stretched across the world, but it didn't control the world. <clears throat> then you've got a, a coming global government. It's not just Europe that's coming together. Go to Revelation chapter 13. What a thought. Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13, 1. I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, 
having seven heads and ten horns. See, what does the devil look like? Well, that's what he looks like. Upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. The beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth is the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and his great authority. Verse 3, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was gloriously healed. <laughs> and all the world wondered after the beast. They're captivated by this guy. Verse 4, And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto this guy called the beast, who is able to make, who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. Power was given unto him to continue three and a half years, 42 months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given over him, note these words, over all kindreds, all languages, tongues, and nations. So there's one world under one ruler. Verse 8 goes on, and all that dwell upon the earth shall what? One religion shall worship him whose names are not, these are the ones who will worship him. They're not written in the, name, in the book of, li in the, of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Jump down to verse 16. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a tattoo. You ever wonder why everybody's wearing tattoos? Now, I don't care if you're wearing a tattoo right now or not. I hope you don't get any more because it's just stupid. God made you good looking. I don't understand. And you say, well, now you're meddling. No, I'm preaching. And I'm telling you, if you think that having a tattoo is going to attract the girls, you're stupid. Because a mark, look at your Bible, 13, 16. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond to receive a what? A mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, a specific place. that No man might buy or sell, say that he had the mark, or you can have the name of the beast, or you can have the number of his name. And here's wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for he's the number of a man, somebody who's alive, <clears throat> and his number is 600, threescore, and six. Do you know Babylon never reached all the way to Italy? Rome's empire never reached to China. The Mongol empire reached all across China and Russia, but never got past, not got past the, uh, the border of Poland into much of Europe. But there is coming a man who will get the whole world under him, and he will cause everyone to take a mark, get a tattoo that will signify, I'm following him, I'm worshiping him. Everything happening right now is actually part of all, of, of, of all nations coming against God. Go to Joel, just before Matthew. It's a couple of little books, little prophetical books, and one of them is called Joel. Now it's just after Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Joel chapter 3. <clears throat> I was talking to somebody and they said, well, you know, at Armageddon, the whole world is going to be fighting each other. No. At Armageddon, you'll have perfect unity. The whole world will be focused on one enemy. And it's just unfathomable. When I got saved, 
tanks could fire about six miles, maybe seven. Big guns could fire about 30 miles. Missiles could travel about 3,000 miles. But it was very complex. It was very expensive. But we're getting to the place where we're not, trying to, we're not going to be trying to kill each other. We're come to a place where we think we're ready to fight God. Go to Joel chapter 3. Here in verse 9. <clears throat> proclaim ye among proclaim this. Uh, proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into. Make you some weapons and your pruning hooks into spears. And let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen. You know, it's kind of like when you saw Muhammad Ali or you see these guys getting ready to get boxing. You know what they do? They say, come on, come on, go ahead. Come on, let's get into the fight. And he's inviting the other the opponent to say, let's get on. Well, that's what God's doing. He's saying, go ahead, assemble. Come, all ye heathen. Gather yourselves together round about thither. Cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. That's the valley of Megiddo, Armageddon. For there, God says, I will sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come get you down, and the, for the press is full. The fats overflow, and their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in this valley of decision for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Verse 15 says, The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining, and the Lord also shall roar out of Zion, out of heaven, and utter His voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of His people and the strength of the children of Israel. What's going on? They're all coming together. They're assembling the United Nations uh, all of these committees, everything focused, and one day they're going to go, we're going after him. And I can't conceive that anybody could think that they could fight against God. How they could point weapons toward, toward the sky and think they can stop him. But that's how deluded people will become, how demented and how deceived the devil will make. And it's just anger against God. How many of you know somebody who's become atheist lately? That's half, half the population in Ireland. You know what they are? They're mad at God. They're just mad at God. And the devil's going to use that and turn that and says, let's get him back. We'll talk about next the mark of the beast. Back there in Revelation 13, don't have time, but he talks about a means for people to be able to buy or sell. That mark and that, that name will be able to stop people from being able to buy or sell. Think about it. Think about it. If you say, well, I don't know if I want that mark, well, then you can't go to Tesco and buy because money won't work. This is right now what they've got. It already is going inside of hands. Can you see that dimple there? Can you see it over there? In the right hand? Isn't that kind of a weird place to put it, unless it was predicted? They're putting it inside of people's right hands right now. For a while, it was going up here uh, in, 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 the, in the muscle area, for some reason, of a shoulder of people. Now they've moved it to the right hand. And this is huge compared to the size. Chips and computers are going so small, you, you can breathe them and sneeze them and not know you got them in you. The, the size of computer chips. Did you know it's in everything you purchase? 
you've got this thing called our UPC symbol, universal product code. Well, you got all of these numbers there, but at the beginning, in the middle, and the last are two bars, and that's the number six. And the guy who invented that worked for IBM back in 1970s. He just, without even thinking about it, he just picked, I need a start, I need a middle, and I need an end of that code so that the computer that's reading it knows everything about those numbers in there. Everything else is the number of the, of the uh, item, bread, but there's a six and a six and a six. And everything you buy and you pick up, most everything, sometimes the barcodes are a little different. Most everything you buy already got 666 in it. And the world's like, la, 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 I don't believe he's coming back. <clears throat> Mark of the beast. You know, it's in your car. If you go through the e-toll, sometime, long time ago, they were taking pictures of your license plate. The cost of that is phenomenal. But to have a little radio frequency identification uh, tag on your car, it's a computer chip. Uh, you're in your key fobs. Um, uh, every, every, everything about us is all chipped. Uh, cattle, every, every cow is, is tagged. Um, almost every pet, pet now has a chip in them. Everything's being chipped. Do you find, are you following me? Everything is being electronically tagged. We're all numbers to the government. You're a PPS number. If you need your electricity changed, you've got to know your MBRN number. Uh, you, we've got phone numbers. Everything's a number. 100 years ago, nobody wanted to be a number. You know, when numbers were, numbers were first imposed on a group of people in 1939 by a man named Adolf Hitler with the help of international business machines who helped them tattoo on their arms, a number that identified them as enemy of the state. And there they were running around. That's the first time that a people group were numbered. The mark of the beast. In our lifetime, massive computer government uh, uh, computers track us to make sure we pay our taxes. Social media apps analyze what we like and what we text, and they sell our way of living to a hundred, if not a thousand buyers every month. And you know what? Most everybody just says, yeah, sure, yeah, bring it on. It leads to the value of money collapsing. If, if you got, let me, let me find something here. Don't drool. That's a real 20 euro note. Do you know how much that's worth? And you say, what's worth 20 euros? What's a euro worth? You know the truth of that thing, when you study that thing out, that is only worth what the central bank says it's worth. That piece of paper, I don't get any ideas, is only a piece of paper. Now everybody's like ready to jump, ready to jump and die for it. It has no value. I mean, ec economies are built on what's called fiat money, which is it's only valued at the base of what we think it's worth and what everybody else thinks it's worth. And in one moment, it can plummet like the German marks did back in, in 1934, 35. Money is gonna go out. It's happened before. Uh, and, and, and I don't know if you know it, but money is constantly losing value. Have you noticed that? <clears throat> when I came here to Ireland in, in 1994, I, the price of a house actually was, was something you could imagine. You could actually purchase. 
Dennis told me the price that he paid for his house 400,000 years ago. Um, <laughs> he's not listening. Anyway, um, it, it was like manageable numbers. When you bought a car, it was just, it was a thousand pounds. It was like something you could get your head around. You can't get your head around 600,000 euros. You can't get your head around um, the, the Irish, the Irish debt is somewhere around, I don't know, 130 billion euros. And it's climbing at a billion euros a month. And it's just going crazy. I can't get my head around it. You know what's going to happen one day? Zero. Everything's going to stop. And money will collapse and the world will need something to take its place. A chip. A chip. And that leads to the next one. That's technology exploding. Do you know there was no electricity until the late 1700s? You imagine your great-great-grandparents living by candlelight? You know, people worked until sunset, and then they did some things, and at 9 o'clock, 9.30, they were in bed. And they lived longer than you think, unless they were abused by their government. But families were bigger, they, they got on. But since World War II, you've had something called the computer. You say, that's not a computer. Yes, it is. It's one of the first ones ever built. These things were built and designed to help figure out trajectory and angle of firing cannons and enemies during World War II, trying to be more precise. Then they invented something called the integrated circuit. It was a, it was a chip about this big. Intel made it called the 4004. Then the next year, they did one called the 8008. And then a year later, then they made the 8080. Then a year and a half later, they made the 8085, and then the 8086. All that to tell you, in just a few short years, it had doubled every year in capacity and in power, and they built the IBM PC. And that thing took off, and it went from that size to your desk. Uh, we're at a time now, in the last, I can't comprehend, I don't know what happened, but in the last 10 years, artificial intelligence is already working. Artificial intelligence right now is, uh, is, is analyzing you more than, than we care. It watches. That's why the government's saying, you know, stop facial recognition. Because if they wanted to, they could turn it on on all these cameras and can track you from A to B. My son, uh, Joel's got a drone. It has a, it has a feature on it. You say, track. <laughs> so he points it at somebody and says, it doesn't know your name because it's not allowed to go onto a database, but it goes on your face and it just hovers there. And if Johan got up and went over there, it go and it would follow him. He runs through the building, runs out, gets in his car, the thing follows him and says it's in the car. And he follows you all the way to home and then inside the house and he waits there. A killer drone. <laughs> and my son owns one. <laughs> Good luck, yeah. The thing is freaky. I saw it, man. It's a feature. That comes with these drones. It can analyze your face and follow you anywhere you want. You know, your smartphone, that smartphone that's in your pocket that you're so addicted to, do you realize that has 10,000 times the power of the original IBM PC? 10,000 times. Phenomenal. Computers. Computers at first were the size of this room, if not bigger. In less, than, in less than 50 years, they were sitting on desks, and right now, the same amount of power is inside a watch. Some of you have smart watches that are 
more powerful than the original computers. Think about the internet. You, how many of you want to know when the internet actually, when was the first website? Anybody remember? 1990. I was alive then. I, I was an adult then. And the first website was in 1990. Six years later, the internet had 100,000. Ten years later, 100 million. Today, there are billions and billions. How about the phone? You know, somebody wrote this. The history of communication is mankind's search for ways to improve upon shouting. So you used to use messengers. You'd give somebody a message, Chinese whispers, you know, tell them this. And they'd run off and they'd tell them that. Chinese used fires in, in, on hillsides and along the, the walls there and to announce the Huns are coming. That was their only message. <laughs> then they used horses, printing presses. Then they used telescopes during the Napoleonic War. They could be 50 miles away and they could go, I think he's saying we're under attack. <laughs> 1831, Joseph Henry designs an electric telegraph. Samuel Morse then in 1836 develops the Morse code. Then they use it across electric lines. A guy named Alexander Bell designed a telephone. Um, television signal, first television signal, 1925. First satellite using for communications, 1963. The first email was sent in 1965. The world's first mobile phone was 1981. 1981. Neil Papworth sends the first SMS. I wonder what he said. Sent the first text in 1992. You live on text. 1992, the first text was sent. 1976, the first PC was out. 2004, Facebook is born. You know when YouTube came out? 2005. You thought YouTube's always been there. You thought Facebook has always run the world. Technology is no sign of, uh, of show, slowing down. It's called an exponential curve. Things are absolutely going through the roof. How many times have you learned, you get a phone, you get a new phone, and it's like, I have to learn a whole new thing. It's, uh, everything's constantly changing. The next 25 years, Lord Terry's, we won't recognize the world. I don't believe, I don't believe we can go through as much change as is coming. We're watching the development of technologies that they are, did you know, do you know what they're, they're doing right now? There is something called genetic engineering. They've been doing it for about 20 years. But genetic engineering, they have the ability with a, with a thing called CRISPR that can get a, a, um, a fertilized human embryo, egg, edit the genes, and they can edit out um, uh, what they think is a possibly a potential defect. What else can they do? Now we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but I just got to, listen, we're at a time where people ought to be very aware he's coming back. Worldwide travel, I'll just quote it for you. But thou, O Daniel, seal up these words, seal the book even to the time of the end, where many shall run to and fro. You say, what big a deal about that? You think about travel? 
For centuries of human history, most people never lived or traveled more than 50 miles away from where they were born, and that's where they died. And yet, everybody travels today. Rockets, planes, jets, helicopters, jetpacks. You see that guy try to go across the, um, uh, 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 the English Channel uh, on a little jet platform there? I mean, people can get anywhere they want, and that's never been possible until the last 100 years. Knowledge. It says, knowledge shall be increased. You know, I, I think knowledge is so increased, but boy, nobody's smart. <laughs> people aren't any smarter than they have ever been. As a matter of fact, your smartphone is able to access 95% of everything that is known. Your phone is able to access 95% of anything. You can go on to medical websites and learn how to do surgery. You can learn anything and know anything. You know, we know what an atom looks like. We know what, a, what grains of dust on the moon look like. We know what the temperature it is right now on Mars and Venus and Pluto. We know the complete molecular structure and sequence of DNA. Knowledge has increased. But best of all, the greatest sign that Jesus is coming back is Israel. Because Israel is back in her land. Go to Isaiah 66. Go to the left, Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66 and verse 8. You know, God promised to bring the Jewish people back into their land and to be among all the nations again from the four corners of the earth. Go to Isaiah 66 and verse 8. Who hath heard such a thing? Who has seen such, a, such things? Now, by the way, well, I'll keep it on saying, shall the earth be made to bring forth a child in one day? And he's talking not about a child, but a nation. And shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Now, I want to show you something real freaky. That does not happen at Armageddon. That does not happen during the tribulation. It happens before, because look back in verse 7. Before she travailed, before all of this got crazy, she, nation Israel, brought forth. Before her pain, the, the sorrows of birth, uh, of, of the second coming, before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. Who's heard of such a thing? That a nation was born in a day, 1948. A nation was born in one day, named Israel. May 14, 1948. You know, Rome conquered Israel, scattered the Jewish people. They changed this name from Israel to Palestine. That was the Romans who did that. And they threw them out throughout all the world, said they'll never come back. But in 1948, God kept his promise and brought them all back. They're not saved yet, but God's plan is in motion. And you know what's even crazier? The Jews are even in Jerusalem. Because the Bible says in Luke chapter 21 that they have to be as a nation in Jerusalem surrounded by their enemies. Their enemies don't own Jerusalem. They're in Jerusalem. All of these are part of, an, of the increasing sorrows of birth pains. They're just not normal. But you know, unfortunately, people are rejecting the second coming. They get, I don't know, I'll talk about it in a second. You would think that the world would be so shocked that all these things happening, that people would be coming to church saying, Pastor, why am I so stressed out? Why does the world seem like it's on fire? Well, can you help me? 
You'd think that people would be flocking to church, and yet what do you see now? Church is dying. You see Christians falling away. You see things just disintegrating. It's another sign of the last days. You know what it is? There's a general lulling to sleep of just about everyone on this planet now. <laughs> That's what you're watching when you're watching the news. You listen to all that happy music. We spend more than half of our lives trying to be entertained. And so you're not seeing anything except hypnosis in our world today. I'll get that off there so I can keep your attention. <laughs> there is a, um, there's a network coming out called the 5G Network. It's basically going to bring to the entire world. The 5G Network is supposed to actually enable countries that are the poorest countries in the world to be able to have internet, phone service, medical service without doctors, robots, everything. It will enable the world to have all that we have now. No, it will make the world one. This generation is being hypnotized, drugged, lied to, told absolutely stupid things in order to keep everyone from seeing all the signs of this world. Satan is spending his time saying everything is always as it always has been. This is just the evolution of the human race. Really? For the last 6,000 years, human race was like this. And the last 100 years, that's not an accident. Oh, there's no God, no God, no God. That's a lie of the devil. You better realize, yes, there is. There's no hell. Jesus is not coming back. Well, folks, I'm going to tell you, that's all wrong. Generations after generations of people throughout history have lived their entire lives without seeing one of those signs happening in their lifetime. Not one. And yet we're seeing all of them. Now, what's the point? People are not ready. I gave you an illustration last week. I said, if, if I could see out of my corner of my eye, somebody get out of the car and have an have a automatic rifle or semi-automatic rifle, getting out there, looking in, seeing everybody, and then running for the door to come in here. And I said, there's somebody about to come in here. I'm trying to warn you. we got to get out of here. Get out this door now. I gave the illustration to say this. That's the job of a pastor. That's the job of a soul winner. There is someone coming and not like a, 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 a mass murderer, but like the judge of all the earth. And when he comes, he will come as a stone that will bring this world to its knees. And I'm warning, I'm pleading, please flee from the wrath to come. But everybody's like, oh, big deal. Oh, I'm not really, I don't care right now. Jesus said, when you see all these things start to increase, he said, look up. Your redemption draweth nigh. People are not ready. I'll read for you Isaiah. Well, go to Isaiah 22. I forgot you're in Isaiah. Isaiah 22. Isaiah 22, 12. Watch this verse. And in that day did the Lord God of hosts call to what? He calls people to weep and to mourning and to boldness, shaving their head out of absolute defeat, and to girding with sackcloth. And yet, verse 13, what does he find? Behold, he sees everybody joyful, gladness, slaying oxen, having the best food, 
killing sheep, eating flesh, drinking wine. You know what they're saying? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. What did God call for? Mourning, weeping, crying out, pleading, repenting. And what does he find? Am I just enjoying life? What does Jesus say it there in Matthew chapter uh, 24? He says, like it was in the days of Noah, so shall also be at the, uh, at the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of Noah were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And they knew not till the flood came, took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. People are not ready. Worst of all, Christians aren't either. Honestly, in this day and age, we ought to be the most passionate. Church ought to be first. Bible study, Bible reading, Bible living ought to be first. Priorities of family, priorities of soul winning, priorities of staying holy and godly ought to be first on our life. Not constantly being, being the last thing we think about. But we're apathetic and we're falling away. I just read of another main Christian author and writer saying, I don't think I'm a Christian anymore. What? This guy's been writing books and speaking for the last 25 years, influencing tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, and he's fallen away. So what does that prove? Nothing. It proves that when God doesn't do what you want to do, you'll give up on God. You better figure out he's going to do what he says he's going to do. We have such a falling away of Christians. It's not because we've got so many problems. It's because we don't care about the future. Folks, the second coming is happening. It's something very big. It's bigger than Sodom and Gomorrah. It's bigger than Noah's flood. And it's bigger than the first coming of Jesus Christ. Because every eye will see Him. It's going to change this whole world, amen? And that's a hope. (laughs) That's something we look forward to. But it ought to change you and me today. I read that thing in Romans chapter 13. It says, wake up. Cast off all these stupid old habits. Cast off and live for God now. Why? Because how we live and what we trust matters for eternity. Your family may not understand you. Your co-workers may not think you're doing anything spectacular. But you're investing in eternity when you're focused on eternity. I'm through. Next week, I'm going to talk about the different parts. We're going to talk about four raptures. Two tribulations, one world government, one religion, one currency, and one ruler called the Antichrist. And then comes the end. And then we're going to find out where Christians are during all that kind of stuff. Did you ever hear of he who dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High? We're not going to be in all that, amen? Go to Joel. We're back to Joel chapter 2 and I'm finished. Joel, find it real quick. Joel chapter 2, verse 11. Joel chapter 2 and verse 11. 2 11 says, And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great. He's a, for he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. We'd say very terrifying. And who can abide it? For the day of the Lord is the second coming of Christ. Verse 12. Therefore also now, knowing that, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart. 
and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning, knowing the Lord's coming back. Go low. Verse 13, rend your heart. You say, she broke my heart. You need to do it. Rend your heart and not your garments. Turn on the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. He wants to not bring judgment on everybody. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God? Who knows if we just got right, if the Lord would give us just a little bit more time. You know, you need to take this very seriously. Because what you don't know can and will hurt you. The Son of God Almighty is preparing to return to this planet, and He's not coming soft and gentle like He came the first time. And our kids, our neighbors, our friends, the people that we can influence, they don't know. You know what most parents struggle with? Just to get your kids to church. You know what I struggle with? Just to say something that will stir you up. But folks, we need a great awakening. We need an awareness of, you know, things are, things are wrapping up quick. I need to get things going for God now, not wait until I'm 80 years old. Stand with me, bow in prayer, would you? You say, all right, pastor, there's a lot of information. But it wasn't. It was Bible. Did you notice that? I gave you talking about things. The ability to mark every person on the planet and stopping anyone who doesn't have that mark to be able to buy or sell, whether in the deepest, darkest places of the furthest island of the Pacific or whether in the middle of a city, town, or a village, Everyone's going to get a mark that's going to have a number or associate with a name. They won't be able to buy or sell. And the, the, the worship of this one being called the Antichrist will be worldwide. Telecommunication will be worldwide. We're already there. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that the, the, uh, the false prophet will give power unto an image of the beast. And the image of the beast will be able to speak. You know what we already have? holograms. We have FaceTime. You should, if, you could, if you had Skype or FaceTime, you could take it back to your grandparents, great-grandparents back in 1953. They would shoot you. They couldn't understand. How is that happening? Because we're at the end times. You say, when is Jesus coming back? I have no idea, and neither do you. Nobody does. I just know it's S-O-O-N. Father, I bow before you with your people done my best. I ask that this would just awaken us because sin, we get comfortable with it and we think it's always been like this. We think the internet has always been there. We think everybody's always had a phone. We think everybody has always had a car. We think everybody's always had money. We think everything has always been the way it always is just in our life. But it's not. We are seeing in just our short lifetime Everything predicted. And what's funny is, people 200 years ago read, believed and read the Bible more than we do now. Why is that? They believed your book. Lord, we need a generation who again believes it and is looking forward to your return.
I don't need signs. I've got your book. But boy, the signs sure excite me. You told me not to be scared. You told me to be excited. But I am scared for others. I'm even scared for people in this room who come into this church, sit in this church and go home and have never been born again. They think that going to the Catholic church and going to the Baptist church or going to a Methodist church, just counting all your bases, covering all those bases, they'll be fine. And they won't be fine. There's coming a time where they will give up and they'll quit and they won't go to any place until the Antichrist comes. And boy, will their worship become passionate then. How can we claim to be Christians if the unsaved are going to worship the devil more than we do you, Lord? Give us great passion for you. Help change our hearts. Help us to humble our hearts this morning with the reality that things are wrapping up. I want my grandkids to get married and have kids. Amen. But I'm ready and I'm excited and I'm looking forward for the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of my Savior, Jesus Christ. And I know there's tribulations, all that stuff coming. I just know this. Even so, come. Bring it on, Lord. I want out. I want up. I want to be with you. I've missed you for 39 years of my life. Lord, if it's, if it's going to wrap up soon, so be it. I just pray that my heart's ready, my life's ready, my family's ready. I pray my church is ready. Lord, help us to win a lot of people before that all happens. In Jesus' name, amen.